Our scripture reading this morning comes from the sixth chapter of Isaiah, uh, verses 1 through 8. And uh, in addition to being Memorial Day, it is, uh, it is also Trinity Sunday. Uh, the Sunday after Pentecost is, is, uh, is Trinity Sunday. And um, uh, it's, it's a time that we, we just sort of remember um, uh, that, that God is spirit, God is son, and God is father, and all three of those things are somehow God at the same time. And so um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Trinity. Um, we're going to talk about the Spirit and the Son and the Father. Um, but uh, this is just sort of, um, uh, today we're just going to sort of just talk about the mystery of God and who God is. And so we're going to um, read uh, one of uh, my favorite passages in all of Scripture, which is Isaiah and the Throne Room. Um, uh, encountering um, God and hearing um, God's uh, call uh, to go um, to go uh, speak for Him, and so it is Isaiah the sixth chapter verses one through eight. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you've been in the throne room of God? When was the last time you felt God's presence? That, uh, that he felt nearer to you than your next breath? When was the last time uh, you could walk away from an encounter and, and say, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place and I did not know it? When was the last time you were in the throne room of God? Maybe you weren't literally in, in the throne room. Maybe you were just uh, out for a walk. 
and you were just so overcome by the beauty of God's creation that, 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 that suddenly you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt who he was and what he was all about and, and his majesty was just everywhere around you and you felt nearer to God. Maybe you were praying at this altar and you felt God's presence and that thing that you were worried about, that, that you were so tore up about, suddenly you were at peace with and that you knew you had been to the throne room of God. When was that for you? For Isaiah, it was the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah was, uh, was, was transported into the throne room and he had this, uh, this, 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 this miraculous vision. And we don't know whether like his actual um, corp corporeal body was, was, was actually in the throne room or this was some kind of visionary experience uh, that he was having, I'm not sure that it matters, right? He was in the throne room of God. He saw uh, the Lord high and lifted up, exalted. Um, uh, the train of his robe filled the temple. It was more than, 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 than he could comprehend and see. And God was surrounded by these, these seraphim, these angels, literally the burning ones, seraphim. He was surrounded uh, by these angels and they were calling out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. One would call out and then an echo would come. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of the angels, the whole temple shook and was filled with smoke. See, this should have been the best day of Isaiah's life. Right? He gets to behold the presence of God. He sees the glory. He sees the angel. He sees the throne. He smells the smoke. He feels the rumbling. This should be the best day of Isaiah's life. And yet, he's crying in the throne room. He's crying in the throne room. He cries out. We don't know cry out whether like he's yelling or he's crying. Sometimes it's the same thing anyways, right? Sometimes we're yelling and we don't know why we're yelling. And it's because we're crying inside. Right? But he cries out to God, Woe is me. I am ruined. For I am an unclean man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. It should be the best day of Isaiah's life, and he can't enjoy it. He can't find any joy. He's crying in the throne room because he feels unworthy. Because he feels like he doesn't belong there. Because he feels the weight of his guilt. And so he can't possibly be in the throne room of God and live. Right? He, he, he thinks he's going to be struck down somehow. I'm ruined. Woe is me. Right? I, I, I can't possibly live and see God because of my guilt, because of, of, of the weight 
of my sin. Why does Isaiah feel this way? There's a kind of clue here, right? We know that this happens in, in, in the year that King Uzziah died. And that's a strange way to put it, actually. Uh, we expect it to say something like, in the first year of King Jotham's reign. Right? That's what, that's what the Bible usually says, right? In the first year of King Jotham's reign, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. But instead, he says, this happened the year King Uzziah died. Why does he say that? Well, it turns out that it's kind of a sad story. See, uh, uh, Second Kings tells us a little bit about King Uzziah. And, um, and, and, and King Uzziah uh, had a long 52-year reign, but towards the end, the last 10, 20 years or so, he was struck with leprosy. He was literally unclean. His body was rotting. It was stinking. And, and, and when, when he was struck with leprosy, he had to go live outside of the palace. And his son Jotham actually ran things. He was uh, kept um, under lock and key in a separate house and not allowed to see visitors because he was unclean. And so he was king and title, but, uh, but his son was actually running things because he was so unclean. He was this leper. And, and when King Uzziah dies, he has, to be, he has to be buried outside of the palace. Not with all the other great uh, kings of Judah, but in a separate place, in a separate field, because he's unclean. In fact, uh, in the 1930s, archaeologists found a little grave marker <coughs> in Israel. And it said, uh, here are the remains of King Uzziah. Do not open. Right? They're unclean. They're unclean. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And everyone has uncleanness on the brain, right? Um, Isaiah included. He probably felt that if our king is unclean, we're all unclean, right? Maybe that's what he means. Like, I come from an unclean people of unclean lips. You know, if our king is unclean, that makes all of us unclean. That's how people thought back then. That the guilt of one member of the tribe was the guilt of the whole tribe. And especially your king. But there's another detail from Second Kings about the reign of King Uzziah. It said, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except... He failed to get rid of the high places. Here's what the high places are. Um, uh, Gog is worshipped in his temple in Jerusalem. And um, the worship of the Lord Almighty is the official religion of Israel. But there are these little mountaintop shrines where people still worship the old gods of the Canaanites. Where the, uh, the old pagan religion just hasn't quite died off yet. And so they go up there and they offer prayers to Baal. Uh, they pray at the Asherah pole and, 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 and they, they worship the old gods. And King Uzziah, his great failure was that he failed to get rid of these places. That they still stood when he died. 
And maybe, maybe Isaiah is thinking of, uh, of all the people up there um, offering their prayers to, to, to pagan gods when he says, we have unclean lips because we've, we've offered these profane prayers to these other gods. Maybe Isaiah realizes that he's participating in this worship as well. And now that he's in the presence of, of the one true God, he realizes his lips are unclean too. Whatever the reason, whatever's going on in his mind, Isaiah realizes he is unworthy to be in the presence of God. His guilt is too big. His shame is too much. And so he's crying in the throne room of God. And he's got all of this uh, religious baggage about uncleanness and about guilt that, that, that just don't allow him to enjoy God's presence. See, Isaiah has a bad case of what I like to call neat freak theology. Here's what I mean by neat freak theology. And you probably have heard this before, but you didn't use the word neat freak theology when you thought about it. But it basically goes like this. God is a neat freak, right? And he's up there in his throne room somewhere, and you've got to picture this perfect, like, white carpet and this perfect, like, white throne, and God is up there in his pure throne room somewhere, and, 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 and he doesn't want a bunch of muggy singers coming in and tracking it with mud, right? God is a neat freak in this version of the story. I know you've heard some version of the story, right? God is so holy. He's so per- per- perfect. He's so pure that, that the rest of us are just, we're noxious to him, right? He can't, he can't stand the smell of us, the thought of us. Right? And, and he certainly wouldn't let us, us into his throne room. Right? This is neat freak theology. God is, is, is just this neat freak. Right? He's like the boy in the bubble. Some of you all remember the boy in the bubble, right? Um, he, he's the boy in the bubble. He, he wants you to come visit him. Right? He wants to have a relationship with you, but you got to get scrubbed up and sterilized first. Right? You've got to pass through these checkpoints, and then you can be in God's presence. This is neat freak theology. God's just a little OCD that way. And he can't stand the thought of your impurity and your, your imperfection and you being in his presence. And so in neat freak theology, we say Jesus is God, but Jesus isn't really God. Right? Because, because God would never leave that bubble and come down here and, and, and be messy with us. Right? Jesus is, is just the guy that scrubs you up so, so that you can, you can go be with God. Right? Jesus just like performs that, that little role. Right? That's neat freak theology. You've heard it all the time. Probably probably heard it as a kid and thought that was the only way to think about God, right? He's just up in his pure little bubble somewhere, and, um, and if, if, if Jesus cleans you up enough, then you go spend a little time with him. And when preachers preach neat 
neat freak theology. Uh, they, they, they talk about, you know, just on and on and on about how impure you are and how, how noxious you are and how, how God just can't stand the smell and the sight of you and, uh, and, and just go on and on and on and on about that, right? And at the very end, but, but just pray to Jesus, right? Just pray to Jesus and it'll be all right. But here's the problem. If I sound like I'm dismissive of this way of thinking, it's because I've known too many people who have been hurt by it. Too many people who who they hear this version of the story which sounds like bad news, and they come up to the altar and they pray the prayer, and yet still somehow they leave the altar still feeling dirty still feeling unclean, still feeling like that guilt and that shame is stuck to them, no matter how much they scrub. This neat freak theology can't save them. Because at rock bottom, what it says about us is that we're just hopelessly, totally depraved. We're just wormed. We're just unworthy. And God doesn't really want us in his presence. And people get hurt by that. It hurts people. People, you go around like, um, like, like Lady Macbeth. You know, Lady Macbeth, she, 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 uh, she kills someone in the first act. And in the fifth act, she still sees the blood on her hands. She, she, she's been cleaning her hands religiously, and she still imagines the blood on her hands. It's gone. It's not there anymore, but it's still all she can see. And she cries out, will these hands ever be cleansed? And you and I, when we're victims to this neat freak theology, we go around like that, right? God's already forgiven us. Jesus is already forgiven us. And yet we still, we just, we carry around this stink with us. We carry around these stains and these spots that a hundred trips to the altar don't seem to get rid of. You know what I'm talking about? Have you heard this story before? God is just up there in his perfect, holy, little bubble. And it's fine if you visit him every once in a while, but you need to get cleaned up first. Right? Nothing has really changed. Nothing has really changed because Jesus died on the cross. The lepers are still buried outside of the palace. That's neat freak theology. But hear the good news. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, it's in the presence of God. Isaiah is cleansed. 
It's in the presence of God Isaiah finds the atonement. It's in the throne room of God that Isaiah finds what his soul needs. See, the, the presence of God is not this place you have to be, get cleaned up to go visit. It's where you get cleaned. You walk into the throne room muggy and you come out and, and, and your clothes are as white as snow. That's the throne room of God. And, and when we tell people, you've you, you got to be cleaned up. You've got to be cleaned up. You've got to be spotless so, 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 so God can abide your presence. Then we keep them on the fringes. And, 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 and they think about the throne room the way they think about church. You've heard people. Ah, I couldn't go in there, right? You don't know what I've done. You, you know, um, if I went in there, the roof would cave in, right? This is where people should be coming to get cleansed, to find the healing that their soul needs. And yet there's this lie, this neat freak theology out in the world that says, go get yourself cleaned up and then God will have something to do with you. When it's in the presence of God that we find the healing and the cleansing that we need. Um, John, John of Patmos, he's given the same, uh, the same uh, 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 glimpse of the throne room in the book of Revelation. He's taken up into heaven. He sees the one who sits on the throne. They're the same angels there. Uh, uh, these four living creatures, and they call out to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Right? And there's a lightning that comes from the throne and, 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 and thunder and, and rumbling and earthquakes. It's quite a scene. But then all of that sort of dissipates and John gets a good look at what's going on on that throne. And you know what he sees? He sees the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He sees the lamb upon the throne. It's a beautiful scene. And then there's this, uh, there's this great uh, time of worship. He says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Sure, you and I aren't worthy to be in the throne room, but the Lamb is worthy. And it is the blood of the Lamb that makes us worthy. And we have to go into the presence of God to get it. And so as, as long as we're, we're, we're teaching this, uh, this messed up, jacked up theology that says that you got to go clean yourself up before you can be in God's presence, we never get the healing that we need because it is in God's presence that we are made clean. We're getting so backwards, don't we? Like, imagine someone's, like not taking their car to the car wash, 
because it's too muddy. Oh, every car I see come out of there is just so sparkly clean. Like, my car doesn't belong there. Look how muggy it is. If I, if I, went to, if I took my car to the car wash, all the other people there would see how muggy it was and, and, and they'd be judging me. Uh, I'm just going gonna to clean my car first and then someday I'll go to the car wash, Right? And so we just, we stay out there uh, scrubbing our muggy, muggy truck with the toothbrush, right? And we never get to the car wash. We get it so backwards. You know why I think it is? I think we get backed into this, this neat freak theology because we don't fully understand the Holy Trinity. We don't take seriously that Jesus is God, that the one singing on the throne is the Lamb, is the one who has come to take away the sins of the world, that, 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 that God is calling us into his presence to cleanse us, to give us his atoning blood, right? We, we tell stories about things that aren't even in the Bible, right? How many of you have ever heard that, that when, when Jesus was dying on the cross, uh, God had to look away because he was so disgusted? Anyone ever heard that? I don't know where it came from. It's not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. God was the one dying on the cross, God wasn't like up there like, I can't look. God was the one dying on the cross. When we take the Trinity seriously, when we know that Jesus is God, we understand the depths of God's love for us. God is the one pouring out his blood for us. Right? Isaiah's generation had an excuse. See, they had this curtain, right? This curtain uh, between the people and the throne room, between the people and the Holy of Holies. This curtain that said, go no further. This is holy stuff back here. Y'all stay out. When God died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two. Come one, come all, bring your muddy shoes into the throne room of God. Come be cleansed. Right? And, and, and when Jesus died on the cross, when God died on the cross, not only was that curtain torn in two, but every door to every church was blown wide open. Come on in. And we've been trying to change the locks ever since. Right? When we take the Trinity seriously, we understand that. That guy dying on the cross, that's not, that's not God's servant who comes and cleans us up so that, that we can be in his presence. That is God. That is God's love for us. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. So we ought to give our lives for others. I mangled it, but it's basically that. When we take the Trinity seriously, we understand that the Spirit of God is God too. That, 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 that God comes and dwells in our hearts. We instinctively get that thing that, uh, 
that, 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 that Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know, he says to the Corinthians, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, your heart is the throne room. When we understand that the Spirit is God and that the Spirit is in our hearts, God is, is, is inside of us, purifying us. He's making his chair spotless right in here so he can sit right in here and reign in us and do his holy good works through us. When we understand the Holy Spirit, we get that. And then... We can look at the Father and know how great His love is for us. We can look at the Father and we can see the one that Jesus described. Not this uh, boy in the bubble up in the sky just, 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 just praying that, uh, that dirty singers don't come track mud on His perfect white carpet. But we see the Father who is, who is out on the porch who's watching down that road just, just, just for the glimpse of one of his children coming home. And when he sees them, he doesn't make them walk the whole way. He leaves the house. He leaves the throne room and he goes running. He goes running. And, and, and that, 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 that kid is, is covered and, and excrement and pig slopping and all this unclean stuff. And God doesn't say, go take a shower and come back to my throne room and we'll talk about it. No, God grabs the son, embraces him, calls out to his servants, kill the fatted calf. For the son of mine was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he is alive again. When we understand the Trinity, we get that. We get the full picture of who God is and not this little cardboard cutout. We get the full three-dimensional picture of who God is. He is the one who sheds his blood for his people. He is the one who reigns in our hearts. And he is the one who watches down the road for his children to come running home. So this has all been by way of prologue. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what each one of these, these things means. How each one of these understandings of God uh, uh, adds to, uh, to our depth of knowing who he is and what he is like and what he has done for us and what he is continuing to do in us and through us. But for this morning, it's enough. For this morning, it's enough to know that God loves us. That he is calling us. That the, 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 the curtain is torn in two and everyone's invited in. There's a, this, this hymn I love. It's come ye singers, poor and needy. And there's this verse in it that says, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires 
is that you feel your need of Him. All the fitness God requires is that you feel your need of Him. The only barrier to entering the throne room is knowing that you need to enter the throne room. So, when's the last time you were in the throne room of God? When was the last time you felt his presence? When was the last time you, 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 you heard the angels call out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When is the last time you smelled the smoke, you felt the earth rumble beneath you? Has it been too long? It's kept you out. That guilt, that shame, that pain that you can never seem to scrub away, no matter how many trips to the altar you take, Maybe God is calling you this morning to come to the throne room, to come be cleansed, to come feel his presence once more, to come say, here I am, send me. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.